Okay, welcome to this week's Think Jewish. And I'd like to begin by thanking uh, Jacob uh, Schroeder for sponsoring this week's uh, refreshments. And also, la yesterday on Shabbat was a decade since the passing of my grandmother, Fredel, the daughter of Moshe Meir. And I'd like to dedicate this class, it's my maternal grandmother, in the memory of her for an elevation of her soul. So, this week's Torah portion is Tetzava. However, we are, next week is Purim, we're in the week before Purim. So, we're going to speak this week about Purim, rather than about the Torah portion of Tetzava. So, let's talk about the story of Purim for a moment. There's a verse in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 7, the uh, Megillah, the book of Esther, introduces us to Queen Esther. It's after the first chapter where uh, Queen Vashti was murdered, killed. It's before chapter 3 where Haman arises to a high position. So right in between, in chapter 2, we're introduced to who Esther is. And how does the verse introduce her? It tells us that Mordechai, Mordechai came into exile, and then it says, and he, brackets, Mordechai, had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. Interesting. The first and last time that we're going to hear in the book of Esther that her name was Hadassah. But it lets us know. And it goes on to say, different opinions, but that he was the daughter of uh, Mordechai's uncle that was orphaned, but either way, it introduces us a Hadassah, and then it tells us Hadassah is Esther, which, as we know, is the name that she's remembered by throughout the history of the Jewish people. So comes along the Talmud and the Tractic of Megillah, which discusses the story and the laws and all the extrapolations and all the teachings upon the verses of the Megillah. Uh, of, and it says like this. I wanted to share with you what the Megillah says. On this verse, and he brought up Hadassah, says the Talmud. She is called Hadassah and she is called Esther. It has been taught. Esther was her proper name. Why then was she called Hadassah? After the designation of the righteous who are called myrtles. The word Hadassah, if you remember from your four kinds of the Sukkot, the Lulav, right? The Esrig, the Hadassim and the Aravot. What are the Hadassim? The myrtle branches. So, she's real name, the first opinion is that her proper name was Esther and her nickname was Hadassah, which she was so called because the designated of the righteous who are called myrtles. For so it says, and he stood amongst the myrtle trees. So we see the righteous are called myrtle Hadassah. That's one opinion. Now let's go to the second opinion. Rabbi Judah says, Hadassah was her name. Why then was she called Esther? Esther was a nickname. Why was she called Esther? Because she concealed. The word Esther comes from the verse in Deuteronomy. Haster, aster. Conceal, I shall conceal my face. And why was she called concealed? Because she concealed the facts about herself. Remember Mordechai said not to tell anyone what you're when she was taken to the palace to be in the part of the beauty contest. So, what does it say over there? That Mordechai directed her not to tell anyone 
who, what nation she is from and what her kindred is. So the verse actually says, because she concealed her from, from everyone, the facts about herself, as it says, Esther did not make known her people or her kindred. Opinion number two. Opinion number three, which follows the same as Rabbi Judah, that her real name was Hadassah and Esther was her nickname, and it gives a very interesting interpretation. Why was she called Esther? All the peoples, the nations of the world, called her so after Istahar. You know what Istahar means? It's the planet Jupiter. They called her after the planet Jupiter. So, in 1953, in the Mimer, the first Mimer of Purim, there were two Purim discourses in that Fabrengen, and the Rebbe explains over there to that in, in that Purim, and the Rebbe talks about three questions. Number one, what are these two names all about? If there's two names and it's mentioned in the written books, the Megillah is one of the written books of Tanakh. It's an Iksuvim. It's the scriptures. So obviously there's something to it. What is the concept of these two names? Number two, what do we have to focus on what the nations called her? In our books, we're going to call her a name. Why? Because the nations called her Jupiter, Istaher, so we're going to call her Esther, and that becomes her main name. Why? And question number three, where do these two names exist within our personal world? Remember the teaching. Olam Katan Ze Ha'adam. The microscopic world is the person. Everything that exists in the macroscopic world exists in the microscopic world. You'll find that again and again and again in Chassidus. If there's a holy temple out there, there's a holy temple in me. Right? There's the holy ark, which is the brain. There's the table, which is the stomach. Everything that's in the macroscopic world is in the microscopic world. If the macroscopic world had a Pharaoh versus Moses, Moses versus Pharaoh, we have within us a little Pharaoh and a great Moses. So, so too, if Esther is called Hadassah and Esther within us, there's a Hadassah and there's an Esther, and it has to reflect in my service to God. That means Hadassah brings forth one form of service of God. Esther brings forth another form of service of God. And because within each and every one there's a Hadassah and an Esther, we each have both forms of service of God. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay? Parenthetically speaking, the discourse does not explicitly answer question number two. So after we finish, if you want to bring it up, okay. But it is very self-understood. Okay, let's go. So, let's get a little bit Kabbalistic. First the Rebbe talks about Kabbalah, and then he talks about the soul. And he says as follows. Esther represents the emanation of Malchut, the feminine mystique of kingship. Now, just to understand this for a moment. We're going to be brief on the Kabbalah part because we really have to focus on the soul and the service. So, there are ten emanations. The first nine emanations always remain, exist within their own realm. Only the tenth emanation of kingship, Malchut, descends from its own realm to the lower realm. Let me give an example. Normally, when we talk about the ten spirot, the ten emanations, which you all know, right? There's the three intellects, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. There's the seven emotions, which is kindness, which is the strictness, compassion, etc. So when we talk about the spirot on their own, you're always focusing 
primarily on the ten spherot in the godly world of Atzilut. That is the world of divinity. Now, in the world of divinity, there are these nine spherot. Each one of the emanations is made up of a vessel and a light. However, both vessel and light are absolutely transparent and one with God. Thus, when we talk about the world of Atzilut, we don't talk about it as a created world. We talk about it as an emanation of divinity, the world of godliness. Now, the first nine emanations, they shine brilliantly within their own realm. They stay within the world of godliness, the world of Atzilut. However, the tenth emanation, which is the emanation of Malchut, kingship, it has its layer the way it exists in the world of Atzilut, the world of godliness. However, it is this tenth emanation which descends to become the inner essence of the supernal crown of the lower world. So Malchut of the world of Atzilut, the tenth emanation which refers to the garments of Atzilut, the higher world of godliness, it is what descends to become the inner essence of the supernal crown, which is the highest point of the lower world called Bria, which is creation. So therefore, the realm of the emanation of kingship always has two dimensions. The way it is within its own world and the way it is when it descends into the lower world. That is why in the world of Kabbalah, you will find numerous times that land, earth, land, is called Malchut. Where do you see this? Because it's all the feminine mystique. The female uterus and the earth is always the example that we talk about, which is the embodiment of God's power to create ex nihilo. The uterus reproduces, the earth reproduces. That is only in the power of Malchut. On the other hand, there are other teachings which talk about the ocean. The water represents Malchut. Whole mystical teachings on the splitting of the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds. So what happens is Malchut has two dimensions. The ocean, which has all its creatures hidden within it, represents Malchut, kingship, as it is in its own world. Absolute divinity with all its creations within it. When we talk about land, where its creatures are above it, on top of it, they sustain off of it, but they are not within it. They are without. They are outside of it. That represents Malchut, the way it descends into becoming the supernal crown of the lower world. So Malchut has two dimensions. And I just want to make a little note the relationship between kingship and crown is quite obvious. So therefore we can understand why the emanation of kingship becomes the inner essence of the supernal crown of the lower world. In Kabbalah it gets very deep the relationship between kingship and crown. Because if you follow what we're talking about, the lowest and the tenth has the deepest connection to even above the number one. The crown of Atzilut has its deepest connection, not with wisdom, but with Malchut. The king wears the crown. 
so too it is in the lower dimension. The malchut of the higher world becomes the crown of the lower world. But now we understand that malchut is the only emanation that has two dimensions. There is no two dimensions of kindness because kindness of atzilut does not descend into the lower world of creation, Briah. Thus only when we talk about the malchut emanation do we have two names. One name the way it exists above and one name the way it descends below. Now we understand why if we say that Esther was kingship we understand why Esther had two names. Hadassah which refers to the righteous, the godliness, that talks about as it exists in its own world of godliness. Atzilut. Esther, which means concealment, is the way it's hidden in the lower world. The essence of the supernal crown of the lower world. Okay? That is the Kabbalistic twist on it. Now, we talk about the soul. After the Rebbe in 1953 went on to explain the dimensions in Kabbalah of the tenth emanation of Malchut, kingship, the way it is in the higher world in its own realm, the way it descends in the lower world to become the supernal crown, that's the Hadassah and the Esther, he goes on to explain, and so it exists within the soul. That's the focus that we're going to have in tonight's class. How does, what is Hadassah and Esther within our soul, these two dimensions? And number two, how do they express themselves in service to Hashem? What is the service of Hadassah? To be more particular, if you want to be technical about this. What service comes forth because there's a Hadassah in our soul? And what service comes forth because there's an Esther in our soul? So every part of us expresses itself in service to God. If we have an Hadassah and an Esther, there's two expressions here. There's expression of Hadassah in serving God, and there's the expression of Esther in serving God. That's what we're going to go ahead and discuss this concept. So, let's begin this part of the class. I just briefly went through the Kabbalistic part, and trust me, we could have literally a couple of lectures just on that. Why is it only Malchut that steps out, not the others? Or we can talk about that. Why does separa separation only come from kingship, not from anything else? There's a lot to talk about, but really let's focus on our relationship to this teaching. Okay, and that's why I skimmed through the teaching. I just wanted you to know what it is, but it manifests itself with most importantly within our microscopic world. And that's why it's real to us, you and I, in the way we live day to day with serving God. And let's talk about that. Okay, the soul has two names. And that is why the Jewish people have two names. We are called Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, but we're also called Bnei Yaakov, the children of Jacob. Two different names. Why so? Because there are two dimensions to the soul. There is the dimension of the soul which is called Yisrael, and then there's the dimension of the soul which is called Yaakov. And as we're soon going to see, that this works hand in hand with Hadassah, and Esther. It's a mirror reflection of it. So let's talk about the name Yisrael. What does the name Yisrael mean? So I'm going to spell out for you 
the word Yisrael in Hebrew letters. The, in Hebrew letters, Yisrael has five letters. There is a Yud, there is a Shin, there is a Resh, there is a Aleph, and there is a Lamed. Out of those five letters, there's a very interesting teaching that you can make two words. The two words you can make out of it is Li Rosh. For me, or unto me, mine head. So here we talk about the soul as God refers to it as head, Rosh, Li Rosh. What does the word Yaakov mean? The word Yaakov, if you look in the story, the simple story in Genesis, when Esau and Jacob were born, they were twins, Esau came out first, and they saw Jacob holding on to the heel of Esau. The word Yaakov comes from the word Akev, which means heel. And thus they called him Jacob. So this is very interesting. We're looking at two polar opposites. There's a dimension of the soul which is called head, the top of the top. There's a dimension of the soul which is called the heel, the bottom of the bottom. There's a Yisrael and there's a Yaakov. What, is these two what are these two dimensions? So here we talk about like this. There is, there is the soul basically has two parts. There is the essence of the soul, and the essence of the soul does not, cannot descend within the capacity of the body. The body is very finite. The body is limited. You'll all reflect for a moment about the story that happened at the Ten Commandments at every word of God. That great revelation, the soul left the body because the body was not capable of containing such revelation. So the essence of the soul cannot close itself within the body. Rather, what closes itself within the body? That is a ray of the soul. So you have the essence of the soul and you have the ray of the soul. The essence of the soul is always above and encompassing the person. And then you have the ray of the soul, which becomes our very insides. By the way, not in my notes, but just, you know, it's interesting to know these things. In Chabad, and those who follow Hasidic and Kabbalistic teachings, you know you light five candles when you're saying, when you're praying uh, as Chazan, as the leader, the cantor, because of the yard side of a father or a mother. You light five candles. In your house, you light one candle. But when you pray, at the podium, as Chazan, you light five candles. Why five candles? We'll see later on in tonight that there's five names to the soul. There is the lower three, which is Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, going from bottom up. And there are the higher two, which is Chaya, Yechida. If you're really careful and you follow the Kabbalistic teachings, you actually do not light five candles. You have three, a separation, and two. Why? Because of exactly what we're talking about now. Chaya Yechida are the infinite, quote-unquote, essence of the soul. And they cannot and they do not close themselves within the soul. Rather, they encompass. Right? But the lower levels, Nefesh, Ruach, Nishama, those are the layer of the ray of the soul that actually permeates the bottom. It permeates the body. 
If you want to get a little more technical, just to get a little more technical and let's move on, I just want to make sure we understand what's going on here. We say that the lower levels, the nefesh, ruach, neshama, generally speaking, we're talking about the intellect, the emotions, and the garments. That is internalized. When we talk about the higher two, chayi we talk about the power of will, which is an encompassing capacity, and then there's the essence, or others call it pleasure. So you see that there's two levels. The higher two levels, which do not squeeze themselves and contract themselves into the body, they remain infinite and circular, encompassing your being. They're called Yisrael, Lirosh, the head. While the ray of the soul that's contracted, a finite ray, that comes into your body. It closes itself within the body. Now, because of this concept, we have the Yisrael and the Yaakov, right? Which reflects the same thing that we're talking about now. The Hadassah is the Yisrael, the head, while the Esther is the concealment, that's the contracted ray of the soul, which permeates within the body. Okay? Now let's talk about what they are in the service to God. To talk about in the service to God, we're going to first talk about Hadassah and Esther as lights of love. I'm being careful with my words, as you'll soon see. Lights of love. So let's talk about this. In the first portion of Shema, we have a, a, a great commandment. What is that commandment? You shall love God your God. With all your heart. With all your soul, i.e. life. With all your might. So we have here three loves. We have the love of the heart. We have the, heart, the love of the soul, which again means your life. And then we have the love of all your might. In Hasidus, specifically in the Rebbe's teachings, very often focused upon, these three are actually two categories. Why are there two categories? So let's talk about love. What is the light of love? The light of love is actually, first you have to know God and understand God. You cannot love what you don't know. That's just some fatuity. I love God. Really? What's God? Who's God? I don't know. I love God. That's a beautiful statement. But that's more a statement of faith than love. Because to love, you have to have three major components. Number one, I need to understand. Number two, I need to concentrate. And number three, I need to personalize. A God I don't know, I cannot love. It's just that simple. A God that I have fleeting data will never create love. That's ADD. But if you can concentrate and focus, becoming crystal clear on what God is to you, then you're capable of having love. Now, even that focused understanding and meditation and concentration upon God will not create love. Why? Because it cannot be a focused concentration and meditation upon a God. To have love, you have to have a focus, an understanding, a concentration, and a meditation of my God. I will not love 
a great God who was there for my great-grandparents. I will love a God who's my God. So when I concentrate on the goodness and the greatness of my God, I can have love. But when I study the goodness and the greatness of all the mythological loves of Greek, I don't be feeling no love. It's not my God. So you have here the understanding, the concentration slash meditation, and the personalization. Now, the fact that love is built on understanding means that it is the concept of light, revelation. It's built through light, revelation, understanding, and it's experienced through light, revelation, feeling. I love you, but I don't feel it. <laughs> That's not really love. So you can't have hidden, so to speak. The true experience of the mitzvah of love is light. The light of love. Now, this light of love, I told you, comes through understanding and concentrating, meditating, personalization. But what are we concentrating on? So you have three different levels, which is really two categories. You have one concentration and meditation that leads to loving with all your heart. You have another con understanding, concentration, and meditation that leads to even be willing to die for God. And then you have the love with all your might. Let's talk about this. To be able to love God with all my heart, I need to understand, concentrate, and meditate how God fills this world. How God is the life force of this universe. And then it's not enough that God's the life force of the huge universe. I need to know that every morning I say, You are my life. I love you because you fill creation and you are my life. By understanding that God is my life, that makes me have a feeling of closeness to God, appreciation to God, and love for God. So the first meditation is how God fills the world. How God is the life force of the world. He's close to me. Every morning I thank Him because He and He alone allowed me to wake up today. Then there's the second level of love, which comes from the second level of concentration. You see, the first one talks about the closeness. How God is my life. So if it's all about God is my life, as the sages say, Love God because He is your life. So why would I want to die for Him? I love Him because He's my life. If He asks me to die for Him, that means He's not going to be my life. I don't love Him enough for that. I love Him in gratitude that He's my life. But the minute He tells me I need you to die, <laughs> sorry God, looking for a new, new God. But the second level of concentration is what? The second level of concentration is on the magnitude of the infinite greatness of God. In other words, when you study deeper Hasidus, what are you learning? You're learning not that God is great because He, he is created the world, He fills the world, He sustains the world. No! That is the ray of God. That is the finite ray of the infinite light. However, God's greatness is 
that all of creation, starting from the Beta Bereshis, the heavens and the earth, the universe and beyond, that all comes from what? Ten utterances. It all comes from expressions. It comes from a finite ray of God. This is not the essence of God. This is not the infinite light of God. This is just a mere expression of God. Ten utterances of God and the whole world was created. Now you tell me how much we talk all day. What is ten utterances compared to my essence of my soul? It's nothing compared to my emotions, even less compared to my intellect, very little compared to my will, and a not nothingness compared to the essence of my soul, which by the way, the soul of mankind is called the speaking soul. So even though it's referred to as a speaking soul, ten sentences compared to how much I yap all day. Imagine how much I yap all my life. Imagine that this is only the actual yapping compared to the potential yapping, which I could do if you just wouldn't interrupt me, <laughs> right? So you understand that if the world was created by utterances of God, that means that the world is a nothing of a nothing created by a finite little expression of a ray of God. How great and infinite is the magnitude of the greatness of God. What happens when you think that way? All of a sudden, being physically alive is so little compared to being able to completely enter into the bosom of the infinite God. At that point, if God tells me, I want you to die from this physical world and enter into my infinite essence, I'm out of here. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not suicidal. But you understand the point. Jews died for God. Because they realized, I'm living a very finite little connection that's going to be disconnected if I bow down to this idol. So I'm willing to die for God and leave the finite ray connection and not be cut off from the infinite magnitude of God. So that's the meditation that leads to loving God with all your soul. Meaning, even if we're put in a position where we have to die for God. However, both these meditations, concentrations, understanding, levels of light are one category. You know why? Because the focus was all about God in relationship to creation. Whether the finite ray of God fills the world or the infinite ray encompasses the world. But I never thought about God as God. I always thought of God as creator of the universe, life force sustainer of the universe. So my whole understanding of God comes from the paradigm which we call, and we say in our prayer, Ahavat Olam. Through the universe, through the Olam, I see you, God. I see the power of the infinite linear, I'm sorry, of the finite linear light which comes in and sustains all of the world. And I see how all of this is just but an utterance from your infinite magnitude of greatness. So the focus is all about God in relationship to me. With that being the case, it ultimately has to be a finite understanding of God. The next category, which is the third love, love God with all your might. The word with all your might in Hasidus is omnipotently great. You're stepping out of the I. 
when you talk about the meditation, the concentration of the Mechoma Odecha love, love God with all your might, you're talking about how the peace of Creator within my soul understands God. Not as mere creation understands God, but as the essence, peace of God within me understands God. Now we're not talking about seeing God through the lenses of the world, Ahavat Olam. We're talking about how God sees God. Which God sees God? That little piece, that spark of creator, Nitzutz Bora, within me. Because the essence core of my soul is a piece of God, its understanding of God is not relative, it's absolute. It's not, I understand how God relates to the world so I can see how great God is. The Talmud says, how can you tell how strong someone is? Only by seeing how much weight he can lift. You can never measure someone's strength. You can measure it by the action. Thus you understand that the first two understandings of God's greatness was by the weights that God can lift. God created the world. God is greater than the world. It's all about the rock. It's not about God. However, the Bechoma Odecha means I leave go of my having to fit everything into my box. I am a creation, and the only thing I can understand about Creator is His relationship with my box of creation. No. That little piece within me, that Nitzutzeloki, that spark of God within me, doesn't understand God through the box. It understands God through itself. It is a piece of God. When you reach that level, that magnitude of understanding, you break out of the, but it doesn't make sense. But it, it's a whole different understanding. I'm looking at your eyes, and I'm seeing a reflection of my own confusion. So let me just try to make it sense a little bit, okay? This one I'm telling you now, I have not seen in Chassidus. So don't quote me as this is the word of God. This is the word of, of Rumi. The first two intellects, wisdom and understanding, Chachma and Bina, are very different, right? Bina is the human mind processing. How does the human mind process anything? Divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. So I'm always trying to cut you down to size to fit into me. How does wisdom understand? You ever try to figure out a riddle? The worst thing you can do to figure out a riddle, if it's a good riddle, is to try to be a lawyer. I'm sorry, Jacob. <laughs> it's not about dissecting. It's about step back because there's a holistic view of this that's going to give me the answer. And without that holistic view, I'm not going to get it. Because this isn't an equation. The riddle isn't an equation. I it's a spark. That means I have to step back, take a holistic view where I'm outside looking at the entirety of it. Not me, not my understanding of it. Can I just step back a second and get a holistic view? That's Chochmah. Chochmah is a dot and Bina is a box. Wisdom is that one little dot. It's the core of everything and everything is within it. Bina is the details and the details, the three dimensions, the length, the width, the depth. If I had to use a metaphor so that we can clear a little clearer understand what we're talking about here. The first two loves 
are the power of meditation of Bina. It's the human mind approaching. I understand the multiplicity, the complexity of the world. I can understand how great God is. I understand that all this complexity is just an offshoot of a ray of an utterance of God. Wow! The magnitude, infinite, omnipotent greatness of God. But it's all Bina. It's the human mind at work. It's a hands-on. Pull up your sleeves and get into it. Wisdom understands, if you know how you spell wisdom in Hebrew, it's Chachma. Chachma is made up of two words. Koachma. The potential of humbleness. Get out of the way. Just open up. Stop getting in the way. Stop dissecting. Just open up. When we get out of the way of the spark of God, the spark of creator within our soul, then we're talking about not how I see God in my world, but rather God is actually giving me a gift to see how he exists in his world. That can only be seen through the peace of God within me. These three loves, which divides into two categories, the first two is Esther. It's about how, how God hides, descends, clothes himself within creation. And the higher one is Hadassah. It's the revelation of God. Not how he's hidden in the world. It's the revelation of God. And it's a gift to be able to have this. However, all three levels, or let's talk about now two levels. Both the Esther and the Hadassah all are in the realm of light. Light is revelation. But what happens in the deepest times of darkness? You see, because ultimately, if I'm looking here at Esther as the light of love, then it's not really Esther. Esther means what? Hidden, concealed. If I just told you that Esther is a light of love, light and hidden are an opposite. That means that even the light of Esther isn't really Esther. It's still part of the world of Hadassah. It's revelation. It breathes within revelation. And that's why all these levels of love, both the love of Esther and the love of Hadassah, even though Hadassah, I told you, is a gift, but the gift of Hadassah can only come after the hard work of really understanding how God fills the world and God encompasses the world. Then we open ourselves up to the wisdom of the essence of our soul. But it's all about understanding. Understanding means light. You can't understand the hidden. So ultimately, every form of love is all about light. It's all about Adasa. If this be the case, what is the real Esther? To understand this, I'm going to introduce to you a new concept of the soul, which you may never have heard. When we talk about the soul, we talk about the light of the soul, and then we talk about the potency of the soul. Koach. This Or Ha'etzem and this Koach Ha'etzem. Two different things. Light and potency. Light has to be experienced, felt. It's built upon the light, perception. And that's why the true love of God does not exist in exile. 
it existed in the times of the holy temple where you walked every day to the holy temple in freezing cold windy Yerushalayim and you saw that the smoke pillar the altar was not blown by the wind when you had these revelations of God when your soul was open to the revelation of understanding the Torah of God understanding the ways of God understanding God's relationship with you and the world then you were able to have love the bottom line is that in exile no one truly experiences love because we're in a state of darkness in a state of darkness we cannot truly understand if we cannot truly understand we cannot truly love so what do we have and here's where I introduce to you the new concept there is the potency of the soul the potency of the soul is very interesting because the potency of the soul is hidden from you it's hidden from me but yes yes no 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 as the soul's deepest potential the deepest power of the soul you don't have it does the earth feel the power of reproduction it exists and until a seed arouses it it won't do anything nothing's growing out of nothing so even though the ultimate potency of the earth is to be able to give forth ex nihilo to create but it remains hidden so if you want to know what Esther means Esther hidden concealed hastir astir is never talking about love because love is revelation if you want to know what the real definition of Esther is Esther is the hidden potency of the soul it's when you see a soul in absolute concealment and darkness do you know when the potency of the soul really comes to life in the greatest darkness of exile whether it be the darkness of persecution or the darkness of assimilation that is the true fertile ground for the potency of the soul so the potency of the soul the soul it doesn't even feel it's truly hidden it lies latent within the soul and now we're going to go ahead and understand what happens what happens is that at a time of darkness when Hadassah is extinct it's extinguished the light of Hadassah even the light of Esther that love that we spoke about the love of Esther both the love the light of the love of Hadassah and the light of a love of Esther are both extinguished in exile we don't really have them <laughs> we don't even fakely have them so when the light is extinguished what are we left with the potency now what is the potency of the soul we use this word so many times potency 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 what is the potency the potency of the soul is to have true selfless self-sacrifice for God called in the biblical language misirat nefesh completely contrary to the I want is God's want and I'm gonna selflessly give over the I want for the God wants now 
I want you to understand the history of the Jewish people. In the history of the Jewish people, in the deepest teachings of Kabbalah, the self-sacrifice of Abraham is not the ultimate self-sacrifice because God spoke to him. God told him, I want you to take your son. That's different. It wasn't some rabbi told me, well, according to Jewish law, as it was prescribed by the sages of 2,000 years ago, you're supposed to be willing to die for God. No, this was God saying, hello, Abraham, I got a little job for you. That's a whole different ballpark. That's light, light dictating self-sacrifice, a different polo wax. But when we talk about Jews that are not religious, we're talking about Jews that eat on Yom Kippur, Jews that don't keep Shabbat. And throughout the history of the Jewish people, these Jews who were not very keen on observance, when they were brought to a point where they were told, bow to the cross, denounce your Judaism or die. Live as a Gentile or die as a Jew. Where did these people take the power to die as a Jew? When you're talking about people who were brought up in the ultimate world of assimilation and all they remember was their grandmother's guilt trip. You bring me home a non-Jew and I'm going to have a heart attack and die. You want me to die? Go ahead, marry a non-Jew. They didn't understand. She was old-fashioned. They lived with best friends being non-Jews. Out of their whole stream of 40 girlfriends, 39 of them were not Jewish. And all of a sudden, something I can't. I just can't marry the non-Jew. I don't know if it's the grandmother haunting him at night. But where do you come to that? Giving away love is the hardest thing in the world when you find true love. This self-sacrifice doesn't come from light. This boy was not brought up in a world of light. He was brought up in a dark world of absolute assimilation. All humans are equal, and this whole thing is all racism, and da-da-da-da-da. And all of a sudden, this man who lives in total open life, all of a sudden is bothered to marry out. So when you talk about the potency of the soul, it's not a product of light. Quite the contrary. Do you know that Kabbalah tells us that the ultimate power of the soul which is self-sacrifice did not really exist in the time of the holy temple it is the beautiful product of exile when there's light i don't have to sacrifice right you guys all watch the uh, movie ant we're drawn into the blue light it's not about self-sacrifice i can't stop i'm going into the blue light I get electrocuted, but that's a different story. That's not what self-sacrifice is. Self-sacrifice is when every single cell in my body is screaming, no, and I let go. That is Esther. That is the true beauty of the concealment of the potency within the soul. That is not the product of the soul as a creation. That's only the product of because within the soul, there is one spark of creator. Now let's go back to the five names that I spoke to you about. The five names, the highest name, the deepest name is Yechida. What does Yechida mean? Yechida means absolute unity and oneness with God. 
However, by the mere fact that the Medrash calls it a name, which means a descriptive expression, it's not the essence. Essence doesn't have a name, because it doesn't have a description. So that means that the Yechida core of the soul is not the true essence. That spills, that's still part of the soul being a creation. That's kind of the vessel of the soul. But the true essence, light of the soul, is that it has a spark of creator. Not just a unified, connected creation. That part of Nitzutz Shel Borah, that spark of creator, that is the ultimate experience of self-sacrifice. And thus you understand now what the verse is saying. Hadassah is Esther. You would think that all the greatness of the soul is only Hadassah. It's the part that's even too big to fit into you. It encompasses you. It's the essence. It's the this. It's the that. Now you're finding out that the beauty of Hadassah is the ultimate beauty of Yechida. But that isn't the ultimate beauty of the soul. The ultimate beauty of the soul is the essence which is a spark of God. Not a piece of soul, but a spark of God. The spark of God is touched only by your Esther experience. Not by my perception, my feeling, my light of love. No, it's in the darkness, darkest moment, in the ultimate ridicule of life. And you do it. That self-sacrifice, that self-sacrifice is the Esther. And thus the verse is telling me, don't think that Hadassah is great and Esther is just some sidekick. No. Ultimately speaking, you should know that Hadassah is Esther. Because even when Hadassah is extinguished, its only saving grace is the Esther potency of the soul. In a time of total darkness, there's self-sacrifice. I want to share with you something else that's not in my notes. A story that I heard from the man himself. I have a classmate. His name is Mangel. He's a rabbi in Dayton, Ohio. We were together in Venezuela, and his father came. And his father spoke to us then. And he shared with us a very interesting story. His oldest son, a blessed memory, Eliezer, when he was a little boy, he went with his father into a private audience with the Rebbe. And the Rebbe told him, do you know the Shema? He said, yes. And the Rebbe told him, the Rebbe asked him, do you know the Shema? He said, yes. And then... The Rebbe told him, if you say the Shema by heart, I'll give you a silver dollar. So the kid proudly said the whole Shema. However, the Rebbe noticed that he didn't cover his eyes when he said the first verse, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekinu Hashem Echad. So the Rebbe turned around to the father and said, do you know why you cover your eyes when you say Shema? And the Rebbe wanted to explain to the father how important it is to teach your kid to cover his eyes. And then the Rebbe stopped. This, the father told me, I heard the story directly from Rabbi Nismagel, he should live and be well. The Rebbe stopped and the Rebbe said, I can't go on with you because I promised the child a silver dollar. If I don't give it to him right away, he's going to think that we don't keep our word. So the Rebbe gave him the silver dollar and then turned back to the father and went on with the conversation. A very interesting lesson in, in education. And the Rebbe told the father, because Shema Yisrael is the ultimate expression of self-sacrifice. Seeing is light. Seeing is understanding. 
The whole beauty of the Shema is the Esther. Wear a mask. Cover your eyes. I don't see a thing. I don't understand a thing. As far as I know, the next step I take, I'm falling off the cliff. And yet I say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. The word Echad, if you look in the Talmud, you have to say it until you can experience the absolute readiness for total selfless self-sacrifice. Esther. And that's why the verse says, Hadassah, this is Esther. Because ultimately speaking, in the darkest times, exile, the story of Purim until this very day. What is it all about? We don't have the light. The light of our soul, the light of Adasa, the light of Esther, the light of love, whether it be the higher love, the lower love, it's extinguished. It has no oxygen. It's extinguished in the darkness of my mind. So much so that the Rebbe explains that the reason why it's extinguished is not only because it's so dark in the world, but because in my life I indulge my power of love and desire into self-gratifying, pleasurable pursuits. You can't have that together with the love of God. So I created even a deeper Esther than all the anti-Semites of the world created for me. And then what happens? At that time of total darkness, what's left is the potency of Esther. The self-sacrifice that comes from that spark of creator within the creation of my soul. Now you understand why the verse says, Hadassah is Esther. Because not only is Esther connected to everything that Hadassah has, but even more so, when Hadassah is extinguished, it's only Esther that can bring back Hadassah and save us. The simple, latent power of total, selfless self-sacrifice. Now let's close it up. How do we bring out this power? Remember I told you, the ground has the power, right, of potency. The ground has the ultimate power of birth. The uterus of the woman, right? That's what we talk about, the malchut. However, it's not producing nothing without a seed. What is the seed that brings out the essence power of the soul? So let's go back to the verse. Remember the verse? What did I read you in the verse in the beginning? It says, and he nurtured. The he was Mordechai, right? And he nurtured Hadassah, that is Esther. Do you know what the Hebrew word for nurtured is in this verse? Uman. Vayihi uman et Hadassah. The word uman is a very interesting word. Don't get breastless on me here. <laughs> okay, I'm not talking about that uman. The word uman comes from a verse in Proverbs. In Mishli it says, and let me read it to you, uman, let me read it to you in English. The verse in English means, I was a uman, which means over here nursling, beside him, and I was his delight every day, playing before him at all times. The Torah is the uman of God. Now let's go back to the verse. What is the seed that empowers and actualizes and reveals the Esther potency, the spark of creator within my soul? It is the Torah. When we study Torah, 
we empower our soul that in the darkest times when my eyes are covered, in the darkest times of persecution, in the darkest times of assimilation, when I am totally numb, it's the Torah, the divinity of the Torah, which empowers my soul to nevertheless go on with Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, self-sacrifice. Thus we understand that when we study Torah and when we read the words of Torah, we're nourishing. What are we nourishing? That Hadassah is Esther. When Hadassah has extinguished, there's no more light of love. That little concealed Esther who doesn't even know who she is. It's a latent potency. But the Torah digs into it. It's the seed that permeates the egg. And what happens then? Then all of a sudden the Esther, the ultimate potency of the soul, the deepest connection, the spark of creator blossoms and it awakens the greatest light of love. Even that of Adasa. In closing. In closing, what we are hearing here is that far greater than any revelation of the light of the soul, Hadassah is the latent potency of the soul, Esther. This essence potency of the soul is specifically actualized in the darkest Esther times of exile, the darkness of prosecution or the darkness of assimilation. What brings forth the Esther potency of the spark of creator with the so within the soul is the Torah, the Uman of God as we study Torah. People, thank you.